Hey, what's going on? It's your Friday episode of Locked on Raptors. And after an off day for the podcast yesterday, we're back with a bang today as Samson Folk from Raptors Republic is here. We're going to quickly touch on the Raptors loss to the Dallas Mavericks before we dive into his wonderful piece on Scotty Barnes and his potential superstardom. It's a really, really excellent in-depth piece. If you have not yet read it, go and find it right now. Press pause on the podcast and then come back after you've read it. So you're fully informed ahead of today's episode with Samson, of course, the wonderful host of the Raptors Weekly Podcast, the Raptors Reaction Podcast over at Raptors Republic. I guess a direct competitor of mine, but that's fine because Samson's amazing. And so we are going to bring him in and talk all about Scotty Barnes and the game against the Mavericks on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1101 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, January the 21st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And, of course, you can subscribe to, follow, rate, review the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms for the low, low price of free. And you can also subscribe on YouTube. Just go hit that big red subscribe button. Helps me out, strokes my ego, makes our numbers go up, all that good stuff. Please go and support the show and as always a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day all right i've been promising this one all week long i've been very excited ever since we locked this in last week samson folk from raptors republic is here we're going to talk about his wonderful piece about scotty barnes samson how are you man it's nice to have you back on the show i'm doing well i am uh, once again thankful to be back on the show as you said you know at the top we're direct competitors so (laughs) you know and and you and i yeah the podcast game We've uh, we've been, you know, behind the scenes, we cudgel each other. You know what I mean? It's it's very grim stuff, but we, we put on this face of, of friendship for the podcast. So, you know, I'm very happy that you've had me on, especially to talk about this piece. Always like when people are like, hey, that one thing you wrote, let's dive deeper. So that's cool. Well, hey, man, you're getting love for the piece from lots of folks out there. David Thorpe was sharing it around, talking about it on his podcast. A whole bunch of other people have noted it as some uh, very supreme basketball writing, which it very much is. And we will get to that coming up in the latter part of the show we're going to dig into. I kind of just want to get to your process for doing a piece like this as well. Uh, All the work that kind of goes into it, what your expectations were and all that going in. But then we'll just talk about Scotty Barnes and the items you touched upon in there regarding his offensive upside. Uh, But first, we should probably hit on a game that we did not talk about on Thursday on the podcast because there was no Thursday podcast because I was being a, uh, a, a fully devoted future husband to my future wife. It was her birthday on Wednesday, so I figured it was probably uh, maybe not the best move to carve out three hours after she had worked all day to watch a Raptors game. So uh, we're here now. Raptors go down to the Mavericks, lose 102-98, play seven guys again. Uh, Yuta Watanabe, nowhere to be found. Svima Luke in the doghouse somewhere. Malachi Flynn, Delano Banton, somewhere in space. It's, uh, it's weird times right now, and yet still they keep, as Nick Nurse said, playing well. Like They're, 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 they're kind of performing pretty reasonably against these good teams. A win on Friday against the Wizards gets them to two and three on this road trip, which I think you would happily take considering the level of the schedule. But Samson, uh, they got to have more than seven guys, right? Like what, what 
do you think is the solution to this problem? Or maybe you don't think it's a problem. Maybe you are a fan of this weird, quirky seven man. Everything is like the playoffs type of team right now. (laughs) Well, I think I've always leaned very player friendly in coverage Mm -hmm. and just in, you know, optics. That's how I've always kind of looked at the league. And I, I do think it is strange to play seven guys this many minutes. I believe the um, Fred is at five games straight of 40 plus minutes, which is a mm-hmm. current streak. Uh, Pascal Siakam is at four games straight, I think. And they, well, Fred now holds the record for this season. Sadiq Bay was at four straight and Pascal looks on pace to reach about seven or eight. Fred, maybe eight or nine. And I don't know if there's a precedence for this. I know like Tom Thibodeau famously played guys like 37, 38 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. But the Raptors have started to creep up into a place where you wonder like on the aggregate and, you know, I'm no sports scientist or anything like that. I haven't looked at the the peer reviewed studies of how fatigue, you know, impacts injury and that kind of stuff. But it, you you wonder, since we don't really see this, is this sustainable? Is this healthy? And then you mm-hmm. get the quotes from the team be it, you know, the coaching staff or the players, and they seem to say it's fine. Pascal saying, like, I'm good. We feel good. Nick Nurse saying, I'm playing the guys I like. We're trying to win. We're playing good. And so you have to go against, and sometimes, you know, you're absolutely correct to go against what the, the bill from top down is being said by an organization. Going against what the organization says, like as far as a fan, as far as a journalist, oftentimes can put you in the correct position. But Mm -hmm. it's a difficult position to be in to say like, oh, this is wrong because you understand they are trying to win games. But on the other hand, I just don't think it's sustainable. And despite them being paid very lucrative contracts, I am always thinking about like how you're being paid to break down your body. And there's a lot of people who pay, you know, good money and take care of themselves so that it holds up well after their career. But you wonder, Mm -hmm. like during these stretches, if somebody's more likely to sustain something that might be you know, life-changing or something like that. So there's always that aspect of it that worries me. But I just wish that if there was a decision to be made, obviously Raptors HQ, um, Daniel Hackett wrote like a really great um, uh, trade trade era um, yeah. primer talking about the salary cap and how difficult it is to make things shake out in that way. But you wonder if they need to make a move to kind of bolster this lineup or they need to take it on the chin that this isn't a team that can win enough games and they just need to play more guys because maybe you're flirting with, you know, danger as far as injuries go. Yeah, it's a really tricky calculation. And again, we're kind of working blind, right? Because I'm sure Alex McKechnie and the whole staff have all of the bio data on these guys and like the work they're doing and what it's doing to their bodies. And you just kind of got to trust and hope that they are taking that data and applying it in a way that's going to keep guys safe. But it is like just from the outside, it's hard not to look at like Fred going four for 20 in a game against the Mavericks after this stretch of playing 40 minutes, five games in a row and not think maybe there's some sort of connection there. And it'd be one thing if like Fred and Pascal weren't also the anchors and linchpins of the defense and having to expend all the energy on that end too. Right? Like it's just, it's constant every foot of the 94 feet they have to put in effort and it's, it's tricky. And I guess, you know, (laughs) If you're Nick Nurse, like we know Nick Nurse has been stingy with who he trusts in the past, right? And this won't be as much of a problem in theory when they're healthy and they have Gary Trent Jr. and Cam Birch. But guess what? They haven't been healthy all season. I don't think you can bank on them having like the eight or nine guys that they're going to trust all in the lineup at the same time. So they're going to have to be guys down the lineup who get in. 
I think Yuta Watanabe kind of had his run with the starter, or I guess not with the starters, but like with the regular rotation cut a little bit sh- short, kind of unceremoniously, because it seemed like he was just kind of working back from some COVID stuff that other guys have been working back from too. I would hope that he gets some run again sometime soon here. Is there someone for you, Samson? Maybe it's Yuta, maybe it's Malachi Flynn or someone else who you just like really want to see Nurse just give a six-minute run of minutes to just to see if, okay, maybe this guy can be the eighth guy to get the team by until they get Trent and or Birch back? Yeah, Utah would be my choice for sure. Just like, mm-hmm. obviously, Champagny is getting minutes. He he played yeah. nine minutes until he dislocated his finger. Then he came back and played 16 minutes. Chris Boucher has been awesome off the bench and in the starting lineup for a month and a half now, like relative to what's expected of him. He's been fantastic. And yeah, Utah seems like the logical extra guy. I've written about Utah. Everybody's written about Utah. Everybody's talked about Utah. He seems very well liked by reporters, by fans. And it's something to say that like a guy who has, you know, a streak of bad play because he was really bad. And like, I don't Mm want to, I don't want to give him too much of a buffer. He was really bad coming back from COVID, but you wonder like, yeah, is, is there a leniency that you give to somebody who has a track record of performing well and will always bring it defensively and has a full season and, you know, a stretch of what, like 60, 70 games of shooting nearly 40% from three. Do you mm-hmm. trust that the defense and the shooting comes around? I think if you're interested in saving guys' legs, minutes, or anything like that, then yeah, you would give Utah, he would be the guy I would choose. It is interesting though, because I think Nick Nurse has had comments in the past about saving guys' legs on a back-to-back or like, oh yeah, glad we could get them some extra rest. And then, so that makes you think like, okay, so they do care somewhat, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, if you ask, (laughs) if they get asked now, he'll be like, it's just a couple extra minutes, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Utah could be the guy who saves a couple extra minutes, but on the one hand, if it blows up and it goes poorly, you know, Nick Nurse is the head of the rotation. Like he makes those calls and he's going to get the blame for it, I guess. But yeah, it's not easy, but I would choose Utah. Yeah, I think I'm with you there too, like the track record and what he was doing before he went out with COVID. I think it's not like he was a good player only last year, like he was at his best probably after he returned. And I think that Memphis game in late November, he was really good throughout his time till getting COVID. So I I hope he gets back in there. I also wonder if maybe the sort of extreme like pairing down to the rotation is maybe tied just to they've played a lot of really good teams lately and Nick Nurse tends to when they play good teams really want to get those wins and maybe all they need is kind of like a get well weekend against the Wizards and the Blazers and maybe if things kind of get back on track and they play nine or ten guys and things are fine we'll see but certainly a storyline will be uh, tracking as the trade deadline nears and decision time comes but Samson you are here not to talk about the seven-man rotation for the Toronto Raptors really we are here to talk about Scotty Barnes, who is part of that seven-man rotation, playing a ton of minutes and has been a very interesting player for me ever since the Raptors kind of got back whole, at least when it comes to their main guys all being on the floor together. Uh, We're going to talk about your wonderful piece about him and his potential superstar upside on the offensive end, how he's being used so far this year and a bunch more. We're going to start that conversation in just one second here. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at betonline.ag who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue the march towards the playoffs and beyond. 
Bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. New year, you got a new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up at today, and you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit just by using the promo code Locked On, all one word, to get started. That means you put in 100 bucks, you get 50 extra dollars dropped into your account by the Magic Bet Online Fairies, and you get to play with that. And that is an awesome deal. You can throw some money down on the Raptors, for example. How many players will that? I don't know if there's an over under on players played by Nick Nurse, but take the under 7.5. If you can, from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online is where the game starts. Continuing on here, your first listen of the day with Samson Folk of Raptors Republic, and we uh, got to talk about Scotty Barnes. He wrote a wonderful, incredible, in-depth piece that clearly took a lot of painstaking film watching and note taking and dividing up into columns. And it was a really, really wonderful read. And I think for anybody who is maybe intimidated by like the technical side of basketball analysis, is a perfect place for you to dive in and not feel overwhelmed or talked down to or up or up to or whatever it is you just do a really good job of explaining things in a smart and sensible way samson and i appreciate you for that as a dumb guy myself uh but let's uh let's dive into the piece man first of all like when you're coming up with a piece like this, did you have any expectations going in? For those who don't know, if you haven't read the piece, go read it right now. I already warned you in the cold open, but go do it again if you haven't. Um, you know, you broke down every single offensive possession, essentially, for Scotty Barnes this season and put it into categories in, you know, in terms of the self-creation, in terms of playmaking, in terms of against an advantage versus not against an advantage. And it was just a really thorough excellent piece but when you go into this like did you have any expectations for what you would find after watching 600 scotty barnes offensive possessions did you have any sort of preconceived notions or did you go in kind of all right let's just see what we're going to find here in terms of like optimism for the future and findings on on barnes's rookie season so far i thought that his self-creation was better than i expected because obviously you know you, we talked about competing podcasts at the top. I, we watch every game and we talk about it, you and I. It's a lot of mm-hmm. podcasts. It's a lot of film. And so you and I obviously have our ideas of the players. And once we stop to review that, our ideas can change through the lens of like looking back through film without just watching it live and kind of talking about it. And he was better as a self-creator than I thought. And he wasn't as voluminous as a passer on mm-hmm. the move as I had thought. So those two things kind of... Um, shook out as I was going through the film and charting all of this stuff. And so that was the biggest change. He was better in isolation than I would have expected. He -hmm. was better pulling, like he had an incredible torrid start as a pull-up shooter to start the year. And like to the point where I think most of his pull-ups this season actually came in like the first, I don't know, 60% of the games he's played so far. And then mostly against Boston Celtics opponents, uh, (laughs) I recall. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, And then when we look at like what's happened since, there's a little bit of a change in role and stuff like that. And it was cool to chart it throughout all of that kind of stuff. But it was it was even cooler to see that he's still getting possessions to try stuff out. And Mm -hmm. it's just the ball doesn't filter to him as much as it did in the first half of the season. But that makes sense because you have two players, Fred and Pascal, who have been player of the month candidates in the Eastern Conference. Like you don't go away from guys who are playing that well. It's not like they they're up in the pecking order. It's like not only are they up in the pecking order, but they're playing so well that how could you dare look away from them in these types of situations? And so, yeah, the self-creation was better than I thought. 
and the passing on the move was muted more than I thought. So those those two things jumped out as something that proved me wrong, I guess. So let's go to the isolation scoring then, because that was a super interesting part of the piece where you kind of dive into his very unorthodox approach and you kind of made the point that deciphering between like post-ups and regular isos for him is hard because they kind of blend together a lot of the time. Uh, And he does have like a very distinct way of sizing up defenders. It's not like he's driving dudes, uh, driving by dudes and going blow by and, you know, kind of finding his way to the basket on a straight line drive. It's all right. There's a guy I can sort of size up. I can back this guy down. I'm taller. I could. I have the great touch. I can sort of do those little flip shops over these guys. And it is a very unorthodox way of getting to those spots. I'm curious, like, do you think that's a feature or a bug long term for him? Because it's obviously a very different way to go about it. I don't know necessarily if it's any easier or more difficult to guard for teams. It's obviously different than a lot of approaches you'll get from a guy running ISO, but you know, with the way that it does kind of, you, you sort of described it as him, he's a muscular frog bouncing around out there. <laughs> You're a very good writer, as it turns out, Samson. Uh, Samson. Um, <laughs> like, again, do you think that's like a, a problem going forward that maybe it sort of speaks to a lack of straight line driving ability? Or is there something to the idea of, hey, this guy does it different. It's kind of a one of a kind way to go about it. And he's shooting 64% inside three feet. Maybe it's just fine the way it is. So this is the intersection of like three different things. And it's a really good question that we get to talk about it like this. So the first is that I collaborated with an MD from Korea and we translated, um, you know, a piece about the biomechanics of Scotty Barnes. He goes by Mm -hmm. Polar um, at Skyfall on Twitter and he, he loves the biomechanics of basketball. And in that piece, we talked about how Scotty Barnes, you see a lot of guys explode with their feet under them. But he's more explosive with his feet wide and he's more explosive with wide steps and that kind of stuff. So this kind of hop stepping, you know, change of direction, flipping hips type of thing is actually beneficial. It's a biomechanical adjustment to what makes his body type, that kind of stuff, more explosive in these types of situations. Everybody has their little quirks and rhythms to their body. And we all have Mm -hmm. little fixes and adjustments that make us more explosive in certain situations. That's what that is. And then the, the other intersection, right, is that in that same piece, the, the Scotty Barnes one, like the one we're talking about, I talk about how in closeouts, it's really tough for him because he can't segment closeouts because he gets into these long steps and teams have a really easy time timing him for contests at the rim. And so that's something that he needs to adjust to, but he can't find the timing to get into that kind of shake and move situation. So the isolations is something I'm really, really excited about for him because he does have like this novel way of attacking in isolations. And the Mm -hmm. biggest thing is against good defenders, against bad defenders, his downward inertia towards the bucket never stops. And if it does, he's been, you know, 40 plus percent from the three different, you know, it's not a quadrant. It's a something if there's three, but the triangles, rainbow, like rainbow section. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever it is from the three different sections of mid range, he shoots 40 plus percent. So it's a viable counter for him, but against good defenders, against bad defenders, his downhill momentum, it it continues forward and his um, changeability and adjustments he makes with the upper body is really, really unique. Like you can see, I put a clip in the piece of him pirouetting before Mm -hmm. making a shot and the way he always jumps, towards the rim rarely does he give the defender the benefit of fading away like he'll jump into you and he loves that contact and he just statues of liberties and he puts the ball up so 
it's a really unique way of attacking in isolation and one that I think will only get better because I don't see his touch getting any worse. And when Mm -hmm. teams counter him, he has a great feel for the court. He isn't a tremendous passer out of drives just yet, but you see the reads and we'll get to this later. You see the reads he makes, you know, in the rest of the game. And this is clearly a guy who has an excellent flair for passing, which makes you all the more dangerous in isolation situations. Yeah, totally. You know, I think the thing, too, that makes me pretty optimistic that even this sort of strange, bizarre approach to his isos can hold up is like you mentioned the touch. It's just he you ever play horseshoes against like a 50 year old dad? (laughs) It's just like they've got the perfect rotation. This is like what they've been building to their entire lives. The accuracy, they're hitting ringers all over the place. That's how I feel watching Scotty Barnes put up eight footers. It's like watching my dad reach his peak athletic form at 52 playing horseshoes against his sons like it's uh that's kind of the vibe i get and and i just yeah that's not going anywhere you would think and it all kind of just falls into this really great sort of uh bucket of feel that he has like it's all all these different areas of the game he just kind of has that feel and it's excellent and that I, i guess goes into the other part of his offense that you broke down which was when he's working you know with an advantage created by somebody else working against a rotated defense cutting spotting up whatever it is i'm I'm curious like you mentioned we talked about earlier how he's sort of had his role changed a little bit here as siakam and fred have reached the level they've reached what do you make of the way he's being utilized alongside those guys do you think there's a a sort of there's more scotty barnes to be milked out of their half court sets right now obviously you know you're not going to not run stuff through siakam because good things seems to happen every time he touches the ball at this point but are, are you happy with the way barnes is being incorporated could he be doing more what's your sort of read on the way he's being used now that the big three guys are all healthy and playing together so I think there's there's two things that Scotty Barnes does really well, and he, he capitalizes on momentum. So mm-hmm. put him in positions where he gets to move with the ball. That's why the early part of the season was quite a few of his highlight buckets were on keeper plays on dribble handoffs. That's where, right. you know, maybe Fred Van Vliet is running towards him and Scotty Barnes is going to fake the handoff. He's going to turn the corner on his defender. You could see he has like four highlight dunks and huge dunks off of that very play. And that's mm-hmm. converting his, you know, his momentum and that kind of stuff. And he has those long strides. So that's great. So if they can use him in screening situations where he gets to short roll or go all the way to the bucket, I think that's really great because as, as we were talking about his feel for, you know, where defenders are, the term is proprioception. It's like where things are in relation to you in space and how you mm-hmm. interact with that. And it, he's fantastic with that. He has a great sense of where everybody is. And as far as, you know, they give him two post-ups straight up to start the game. Uh, not not against Dallas, but against, uh, who was it? Oh, yeah, against Miami. Miami, Duncan yeah. Robin- yeah, because yeah. Duncan Robinson was on him. And he, he did score on one, but I found that when I was watching the film that, and, and you know, charting this stuff, that his straight post-ups did not work well because he's coming from a stationary position. And right. that doesn't really reward any of his his skills, his movement skills. And so I don't like that that much, but people, I think, really like the idea of it and they look at his skills and they look at what he's able to do. So you'll find a lot of people actually clamor for more Scotty post-ups, uh, even though I right. found them to be uh, largely unsuccessful so far this year. And there's something to be said for growing and changing and learning to you know, succeed in a play type. But also, you know, the isolations I want him to get forever. Give yeah. this man isolations because, you know, not everybody can isolate at the end of a game 
it's a different type of defense. Defense is key in differently. They stunt harder. They rotate harder. Whatever they're doing, they're going to make you decide. And there's no mm-hmm. indecisiveness that works. And it's harder to get to the bucket where he needs to get. And even if he can never score crazy at the end of a game, being able to isolate throughout the first, second, and third quarters is extremely, extremely important to a team's health. And I think giving him a heavy amount of isolations will continue to be very good. And just as a screener, I think capitalizing on that screen momentum is really great. I think he has like a good body for screening. He can make contact. He can burst into space. And then lastly, you know, in the in the heat game, five high-low feeds in the first half from Pascal to Scotty. It should have been mm-hmm. five buckets. It wasn't. It was only two and free throws. Scotty missed a dunk, which is not really normal for him. Them's the bricks. You miss shots sometimes. But you could see if you watch that back, there's a clip of it on Twitter that I put up. His sense of where defenders are, how they yeah. cheat to Pascal. And like I, I've used this terminology for OG before, but like he walks the baseline like a shadow cat. Like he's extremely, <laughs> you know, it's powerful, it's explosive, but it's also sneaky. Like mm-hmm. this, this big behemoth of a man who, if he walked into a room next to you or I, everybody would like, you'd hear spoons <laughs> clatter on the floor, right? This guy is like sneaking along the baseline, like, okay, maybe they won't notice me. And he does it. <laughs> He, like yeah. he blends in and uh, yeah, he gets into spaces where he can score. And that isn't just like that is opposite of Pascal a lot of the time because Pascal mm-hmm. does draw attention, does create those types of looks. But when Fred gets into space, like a Corey cut or a Wade cut coming off of his downward momentum, that puts him in positions to succeed. So the screening, the isolation and just the cutting, I think, is awesome. And then obviously spot up shooting. Everybody has to do it unless mm-hmm. you're. Everybody has to do it. So that's obviously something that you're looking for him to, you know, reward you with as far as work in the gym and reps and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, I'm like a year or two away from even thinking about the three point shooting as like a concern or anything like that, because he's so far ahead of where we thought he was going to be that, I'm, mm-hmm. hey, th- whatever he's doing right now is the most delicious gravy I've ever slurped up. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to continue on and you can sit with that image for just a second there, Samson. We'll dig into uh, s- some more on the, on Scotty and sort of how he's fitting into the construct of the team and the idea of you know him as a screener and whatnot and, and as a playmaker, too. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, I just want to remind people that we have a podcast on youtube called locked on now it is a nightly recap of all the games that you might have missed it's a really wonderful 14 15 minute condensed breakdown of everything that took place the biggest takeaways from every game from all the local hosts of the locked on podcast network so go subscribe to locked on now on your favorite podcast provider or on youtube go check it out all right samson uh back to the idea of uh, scotty the screener um you know it's been the sort of like uh, blood feud of Raptors internet all season long as to like, oh, should the Raptors go get a center? Should they be starting Ken Birch at the five? I've been maintaining all along. This season is like for weirdo experimentation. Roll when you have them with the starting five that they've rolled with for the most part. Have Scotty be your nominal center. See what he does as a short roller. See what he does kind of playing that middle of the floor in zones, things like that. I'm more than okay with that being the case, even though they obviously are lacking, you know, some sort of center presence. I don't know what the answer is or who you go and get to address what their problems are, but I'm more than okay with this season being about just seeing how the small ball works. 
How have you enjoyed Scotty in that role so far this season? Do you think there's more to be sort of mined there as well? Or, or are you someone who's already like, yeah, I'll get a center in here. The, the Scotty's not uh, for this job. Like, I think he's totally fine there. And I, I, I'm more than happy to have him and Siakam kind of trade off screening duties. But uh, I'm curious sort of what you think in terms of team building. Like, is it an immediate problem to go get a center to move Scotty out of that sort of role and position? Or are you cool with just kind of uh, letting it marinate this year? Hmm. This is like a great basketball philosophy question because you're talking about, you know, Scotty probably is like maybe a minor positive or a minor negative somewhere in that as far as defensively this year and and started out as like a not a major negative, but a meaningful negative on that end. And, you know, if you just want this season to be like weirdo season and you kind of get answers to questions you've always wondered about how would this look on an nba floor how like you know the the raptors currently have a bench where they they score the least amount of points but they allow the least amount of points and they just try to get extra possessions for the stars on the rosters by rebounding the hell out of their own misses and like that's weirdo stuff that's absolute weirdo stuff and so that's is that is that something that works long term is that something that translates to the playoffs who knows but it's weirdo stuff and we get to talk about it and see it now and scotty barnes you know there's a game i think it's december 14th against the knicks that is maybe the best example of his viability as a defensive center adjacent player because he was mm-hmm. the low man in a lot of those actions and I believe the Raptors held the Knicks to 87 points in that game. And he was tremendous contesting, rotating, getting to like shots and then rebounding. I think he had 15 boards in that game. And so he did everything that is kind of, you know, what we expect of centers, which is chain shots at the rim, rotate to try and get people to pass out of rim attempts and then clean up misses there. And he did all that defensively. Is that something he could do against every team? I don't think so, but I think that the Raptors realized in that game that there is some more viability to his low man in the defense status because a lot of the times they were using him above the break as kind of a point Mm -hmm. of attack guy, which I think is ill-fitted regardless. But anyway, it it is really interesting to think of him as like a five long term. I don't Mm -hmm. I don't really see that. And I think in the offense, while he does screen, I think typically um He's on the wing too often to be considered like a five on offense or something. Sure, but sure. if that's if that's what they want to get into, uh, I mean, hey, you can try anything, especially if you're just signing off on this year. You're like, maybe we don't make the playoffs and maybe you think it's more important for Scotty to get, you know, voluminous amounts of reps in a bunch of different situations than it is for him to get a more limited amount of reps and then some playoff reps, you know, like that right. that six game sample to lose out to the one or two seed, whatever it is, right? <laughs> or you know, maybe they they were Raptors, you know, maybe they win, maybe they win the championship. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what you like to hear. But like, is is that which is more valuable to some people? The small sample in the playoffs is more valuable than anything, and to other people, just the reps in you know regular season games would be more valuable. But I I am also of the mind, and I've advocated for this for a long time that like. Centers are really important, and right. I understand that the Raptors, like, they've marketed this team well. Like, Bobby Webster came out after the draft, and, ooh, did he nail it. He's like, yeah, they're all the same size. You guys like that, huh? He's like, they're all the same size. They look the same. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you love it. And everybody's like, a plan? You know, a plan bears fruit. And it's like, maybe, maybe it does. And then Bobby Webster is like, I hope the rumors that we were trying to trade for the huge, taller than everybody else, Evan Mobley, doesn't come out because that would kind of blow up our spot. 
you know, you know what I mean? But I, yeah. I think centers are really important for all the things that the Raptors haven't been able to do this year. Can test shots at the rim well, rebound their own misses, and especially in clutch time, it's it's a big mm-hmm. deal. And then just fouls, wear and tear. Right. Like Pascal is what at like 3.7 fouls per game now, which maybe is close to leading the league. You know, Precious plays 26 minutes a game. He's like almost fouling out all the time. Chris Boucher, 20, you know, 23 minutes a game. He's almost fouling out. Justin Champagne plays like eight minutes, gets five fouls. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. damn, these are a lot of fouls. But, you know, as far as the actual process of it, what is Scotty doing well? When he emulates what a center does defensively, the returns are already pretty good that you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. if this guy continues to build his body and gets more comfortable and then gets to read rotation at the NBA level, gets used to the spacing. It, maybe it looks really, really good. And he's one of those guys who, in a pinch, instead of having, you know, Scotty at the point of attack versus Luca last night, you have, you know, Scotty on Porzingis, where they put OG because OG was the better matchup for Porzingis in, in that mm-hmm. case. So, you know, it, it's all about growth probably for Scotty, which isn't the same as the team. But with Scotty, mm-hmm. it's all about growth. And putting him in more situations like that certainly will help him grow. You know, stretching guys' legs out, you know, never hurts, really. Well, and I think that kind of leads to a really interesting question because, like, I think if you're sort of looking two, three years down the road with this team, I think the vision now that we've kind of seen, all right, Pascal is is has back is back to the level that we all kind of thought he was going to be at and beyond. Like, he's, like, surpassed 2019-20 except for three-point shooting. Everything else is better. Um, You know, Fred has become the player he's become, but I I think there's still sort of like that vacuum at the top of a potential hierarchy where a superstar would slot in very nicely and kind of set everybody else up to be in the spot where they're best, you know, set up to succeed. And I guess it is a sort of matter of figuring out how you sort of level up Scotty Barnes, who is the guy, as you kind of detail in this piece, he's got superstar potential. You know, how do you level him up without totally overhauling the way your team operates and cutting into the good you've seen from Siakam and Fred in the interest of getting Scotty those reps. Like it is a, a difficult thing. And I mean, there's a reason lots of teams struggle with this win and develop at the same time thing. I think it's a little bit easier because Barnes has proven he can be like a role player and very effective one at that, um, you know, while he's kind of on his road to finding that star level. But do you have any sort of preference to see you know, that you'd like to see them in terms of how they bring him along, ways they can kind of unleash his playmaking a little bit more? That's been kind of down in a lot of ways since they got healthy and he's got the ball in his hands less, obviously. You know, what do you think is the progression here to get Scotty to that superstar level where the whole team kind of makes sense falling around him? Well, there are some coaches that really like um, to do early action sets. And that's mm-hmm. they'll start running stuff on the fly when you're bringing the ball up. And I think they could stand to do more of that because you're getting these small, for a lot of passers in the NBA, insignificant gains from like these back screens and stuff like that. But with Scotty, those gains are not insignificant because he'll right. he'll fit a like he'll fit you know a tree trunk through a pinhole if he can. Yeah, he, he, you know it's dudes I mean? who don't even realize they're open before they're open. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. And so a lot of that early action stuff to try and, you know, glean um, advantage for people just to get a lane to the rim and see if Scotty can be the ball handler in those situations. I really like Pascal with the ball in, you know, in transition, especially when he's on the floor with Fred. But as far as like Scotty, you know, he's probably the best player to have the the ball in if Pascal 
is off ball because mm-hmm. sometimes they have OG bring up the ball and I understand they want OG, but I, I like OG getting his reps in the half court. I don't think OG, you need to have him bring the ball up, especially if one of Barnes, Fred or Pascal is on the floor, like OG will get reps and develop in another way. If, if that's one, like OG would be the, the sacrificial lamb in that sense, that part of his game, bring the ball up would be sacrificed in lieu of, you know, Barnes having the ball. And we saw it, you know, in that game against the Mavericks, like how did OG score most of his points in the first half on hit ahead passes from Pascal Barnes can be the guy who makes those passes too. you know, Pascal can be on the opposite end of them. All vice, all vice versa. Those three guys can all do that, except OG is the one who won't make those hit ahead passes. So I think, you know, there's lots of early offense and stuff that Scotty can unlock for you that they should be looking at getting into. And then as far as, you know, managing Scotty while also winning, like this team, clearly they were on the brink of, you know, a total rebuild, it might seem like. But with Fred making such meaningful steps as a playmaker this year and as a pick and roll operator, it's taken their half court offense from a place where it was really bad to a place where it's acceptable now. And especially Mm -hmm. with Pascal just being so insatiable with how he wants to get to the rim, you're looking at these two players and you say, man, if Scotty Barnes was a rookie contract star, how would you possibly get two players better than this to pair with him? And quite frankly, you wouldn't. So (laughs) I do think if the Raptors want to punch up at contender status, you do keep those and, and OG obviously with he's on an incredible contract. He's such a good player. He fits in so easily next to so many people that you Mm -hmm. say, we have to figure out how to bring Scotty along as a star, but we can't trade these guys because Scott, the early part of Scotty's career will likely be a contending window like that. Maybe that's a hot take from me. I do think mm-hmm. he like, I do think there's a good chance he's a star on his rookie contract. So that means that Pascal, Fred and OG under contract as they are, that is immensely valuable. And I think that mm-hmm. they'll like those guys, whether they're, whether Scotty gets the second fiddle or first, whatever it is, those guys are going to play huge roles on a very, very good Raptors team. And so finding that equilibrium of like bringing him along, it's tough to say, and they have the data and they see what goes on in practice and stuff like that. But I really do think allowing Scotty, you know, more reps with like, you know, when defenses are changing and that that's that advantage thing, like without advantage, yeah. I love the isolation. They, sure. they run, they run set actions. And if he's the guy with the ball, you know, the Raptors used to do this with Patrick McCaw, right? And Patrick McCaw had, <laughs> you know, he would be the guy. They'd run like horns. He'd have the ball and somebody would come off a pin down and he'd find them. And it's like, you know, Patrick McCaw made like a chess pass. And yes, that's an assist job. for him. <laughs> yeah. But Scott is a 2K assist. assist when you're trying to rack up assists to get a triple double for one of your guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> T- teammate great stuff, right? He's just making the quote unquote like correct pass. But Scotty, like if you run a set action and there's a guy streaking to the rim, he'll make the pass that like 1%, maybe even less of NBA players make, and he'll make it so that they get the layup. And so mm-hmm. having him as the trigger man in more set actions, I think could be really rewarding, especially since the Raptors just kind of, they can switch into their handoff stuff to give whoever they want the ball above the break anyway. So I would like him to see, I would like to see Scotty as the trigger man in more set actions. And then, you know, the screening and isolation stuff we talked about before, I think is a really good place to start. And he's just so resourceful and functional mm-hmm. on the court that like, whether it's offensive rebounding, whether it's pushing in transition or whether it's cutting, he's going to find points. Like he sleepwalks to double digits. And this is a guy that some people are like, is he going to average eight points a game this year? I don't know. <laughs> but it's just because he's so resourceful and useful on the court that 
there's no limit to, you know, what he'll be able to provide for himself, even in a tertiary role. So I think as long as he continues to do that, and this is part of why I thought he was a novel superstar is because of his way to supplement his own numbers in this unique way, in this role player esque mm -hmm. way and to do it at, you know, such high volume. So, yeah, it's I think it'll actually be if he's going to be that good, it may actually look a lot easier than people think. You just have to keep giving him some on ball reps to to kind of feature that in. I, if pick and roll stuff comes along, it comes along and then you keep feeding mm -hmm. into it. But, you know, Nick Nurse until the last four games has hated the pick and roll with like the passion of, <laughs> with the passion of a burning sun. And then mm -hmm. finally he was like, oh, I guess Pascal can run this. It's like, yeah, dog, Pascal can yeah. run the pick and roll. Thank you. <laughs> and so, yeah, maybe they'll let Scotty run some more too now. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and we, to tie this all in a nice little neat bow, uh, back to the first segment, we were talking about how everyone's very, very tired all the time. Uh, you know, a, a way to make that less so for Siakam and Fred, give them some help. Let Barnes do it. And, and I'm very comfortable if you're going to sort of funnel a few extra possessions a game Barnes's way in the interest of making it so Fred doesn't keel over in the middle of a game. Um, and with that, Samson, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for hopping on the show, man. It was lovely to chat with you. And Scotty Barnes has just made the Raptors so much more interesting to cover because he's such a funky, cool player. And having people like you break down his game makes it that much more fun to be a fan as well. So, Samson, thank you so much for all your wonderful work. Uh, anything in addition to the scotty piece that people should check out at raptors republic uh yeah <laughs> most of my stuff if you can i i'm one of the people in raptors media who is not yet privy to like a ton of quotes or uh, you know outsider mm -hmm. information and so my my work has started to be something where i try to make it as high quality as possible by really leaning into the analysis of the game and you, not everybody likes that but if you do like that i do think that you know I'm one of the better people, you know, talking about the game through that lens. And so this is not hum this there's no humility in what I'm saying, but I think I do really <laughs> good work and I really I really appreciate you bringing me on Sean and if you want to yeah, follow man. my work and learn about the game in that way, uh listener, then uh I'm I might be one of the guys. So, yeah, thanks Sean. Uh, I can't uh, back that up enough as someone who is decidedly not skilled in breaking down the game in an elegant and interesting way. I can do it fine, but I'm more about the takes over here. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> so, I no, you just do a wonderful job and you make me a smarter basketball fan whenever I get to read you. So thank you, man. And uh, we'll have you back on the, the show again soon. I'll have to jump on your show sometime soon as well. So I can bring some takes to the people over there. Raptors of public too. Uh, anyway, we'll round it out there. I don't know what I'm doing. We're going to, wrap it we'll be back again on monday a couple games to break down against the wizards and blazers so that will be uh monday show big v will probably hop on for that one and we'll get the rest of the week planned out from there but thank you so much for tuning in thank you for making us your first listen of the day go make your second listen of the day locked on bets as our boy as your boy q that is and lee sterling are doing a great job cutting through the noise of the covid ridden world that is sports right now and helping you win some money on your bets so go check that show out wherever you get your podcasts and with that We'll wrap it there. We'll have a have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you Monday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye bye.